Well, I'll admit to you that one of the challenges of not preaching every week is sometimes you have to uh, decide on a sermon what you're going to include and what you're not going to include because you can't teach everything. And so last time that I spoke last month, I said that we were finishing up chapter 5 and we looked at Matthew chapter 5 verses 43 through the end of the chapter and when I was done with that sermon, uh, it still wasn't sitting with me uh, very well uh, because I didn't feel like I said everything or I felt like there was more to be said. And uh, so when I had the opportunity, when I was given the opportunity to preach again, I decided that I would finish what I felt was incomplete on that particular sermon. Uh, what bothered me uh, most about Matthew chapter 5, 43 to 48 is that the illustration that Jesus gives uh, is an illustration of love, his love, where the sun and the rain come down on the righteous and the unrighteous, or the good and the wicked. And, uh, and it seems like that it is just an, an, an undefined, uh, uh, free-flowing uh, love uh, that uh, God is saying that we are supposed to also give to the, to the world. And, uh, and so with, uh, with, with, with this love that had no explanation, no guidelines, no definition, uh, just this free-flowing love, I asked the question of myself. Uh, Dionne Warwick wrote a song in 1998, and they sung it at the uh, Democratic uh, National Convention when uh, Hillary was running for office. And uh, these are the words of the song. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. Lord, we don't need another mountain. There are mountains and hillsides enough to climb. There are oceans or rivers enough to cross, enough to last till the end of time. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, just not for some, but for everyone. Lord, we don't need another meadow. There are cornfields and wheat fields enough to grow. There are sunbeams and moonbeams enough to shine. Oh, listen, Lord, if you want to know, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. And so when you, when you listen to that, again, there's nothing more. There's no explanation. There's no boundaries. It's just free-flowing. Uh, and so is that what the world really needs? Is that what the world lacks is just love, 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 love? Is that all that is, that is needed? Uh, well, if we look at Matthew chapter 5, uh, it seems that's exactly what's, what's being said. And that's what I want to clarify uh, today as we look at it. So let me read it. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, 
What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, it, uh, uh, Father, I, I asked this question and uh, Father, I want to clar- clarify this question that I had in my mind. I want to communicate it well. Uh, it is, in fact, true that, uh, that we need love and we need lots of it. Uh, we know that you are a loving God and all good gifts come down from above, uh, Lord, and uh, you love beyond any, any uh, thing that we can uh, imagine, Father. Uh, we, know that, uh, we know that the wrath of man does not create the righteousness of God, Lord. We know that uh, uh, you have created us and you have guided us to love, Father, but this does not come without definitions it does not come without explanation and that's what i desire uh, to proclaim today is the uh, the explanation of of what is missing uh, in what dion warwick is saying and uh, and lord so we pray for your guidance we pray for your direction we ask that you would teach us and it's in christ's name we pray amen it was uh warren wearsby who said Truth without love is brutality, and love without, tr- love without truth is hypocrisy. Truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. Imagine relating to someone solely on truth. Only thing that you sought to do was just to be truthful with somebody. You didn't worry about their feelings. You didn't worry about anything else you just determined that you're going to be honest and you're going to be truthful with every every human being you didn't care how it landed on somebody you didn't care how it made somebody felt only thing that you wanted to do is to be uh, uh truthful imagine relating to someone solely upon love you didn't care about the truth you weren't concerned about the truth only thing that you wanted to do is just love that person that's all that you were concerned about and i think if you think about it uh, you can see, you can see the, where I'm getting at, uh, and that is, is that you can't really love without the truth. Right? And you really cannot speak the truth without being concerned with love and how it's going to land on somebody. Uh, when you think about the, uh, the, the, the scriptures and uh, you think about preaching or teaching and what the purpose of it is, uh, we know that the word of God, well, first we know that God is the great physician. Uh, we know that the word of God is like a surgeon's knife. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts clean to the spirit. It lays ourselves open uh, before God. And so if we think of it and uh, get our mindset on surgery and a surgeon's knife, it has to be precise. It has to cut clean it, so that it can accomplish its, its task. Uh, we also know that there's other ways to, uh, to cut. There's a chainsaw. And when you've got a chainsaw, only thing you care about is that the tree falls. Only thing that you care is that you cut it up the way that you want it and you get done in a timely manner. Uh, if you think of the chainsaw massacre, you know that it makes a mess of things, right? And so there's a concern, there should be a concern with how, how we cut, how we use truth. Because if we use truth wrong without love, we can make a real mess of things. Uh, when, a, when a new preacher comes about, I'll use an example uh, with me and my me and my wife, uh, you know, the, your your wife has has needs. I'll talk about that uh, later in the, in the sermon, and when I start talking about how this is practically uh, laid out. Uh, but I was in seminary, and I was learning the truth, 
And so every time my wife came with me to an issue, I had the answers because I was studying the Word of God. And I would just tell her what the Word of God says. Right? And I, didn't, I wasn't really concerned about what, how she felt or what she was thinking or anything like that. I just knew the answer, and the answer was the Word of God. Well, the Word of God gives us answers for spiritual needs, and he gives us answers for other needs that we have. Like, for example, we are to mourn with those uh, who mourn. Okay, so there's this, uh, there's, there's this need for keeping together truth and, and love. So let's look at uh, Ephesians. Let's jump over to Ephesians. I have a lot of verses, only a couple of them that I'm going to refer you to, uh, to show you that God keeps these things together. Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to look at verses 14 and 15. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. So that we may no longer be children, okay, so it's talking about an immature faith, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Okay, so notice that an immature Christian doesn't take truth into consideration and he's being tossed to and fro, back and forth. As we grow and as we mature, we gain this idea of love and we learn how to speak truth in love, right? Those two things gotta, gotta stay connected. That's what I'm gonna try to prove to you uh, today. So this is how it happens. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. That is the goal, right? We keep these two things together. We have to grow up into Christ. So when you go to John chapter one and verse 14, I wanna ask you to turn there because you probably could uh, quote it already, but he was made flesh and he dwelt among us and he was full of grace and truth or love and truth. He was 100% love, he was 100% true, and he kept those things in perfect balance. He did not sacrifice truth for the sake of love, and he didn't sacrifice love for the sake of truth. Okay, so uh, the, goal, the goal of truth, you can write these verses down, there's too many to, uh, to go to, um, but the, uh, Jesus is full of grace and truth. So the goal of truth is love. The goal of truth is love. 1 Timothy 1.5 says this. The aim of our charge. What is his charge? The aim of his truth telling. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere love. Or excuse me, a sincere faith. So the aim of truth is love. That's, the, that's, that's what the Bible is. That's the aim of the Bible. The Bible is teaching us how to love. That's the whole purpose of the Sermon on the Mount. God is teaching us how to love. He is confronting the Pharisees and how they were exercising the truth without any love. They were just concerned about truth, 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 truth. And then they twisted and manipulated it for themselves. And so the, 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 uh, the charge or the aim or the direction or the purpose or the goal of truth is love. The goal of love is truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 6. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with what is true. All the way through scriptures, these two things are held together, truth and love. You cannot have one without the other. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundance of love that I have for you. 
Okay, there it is again. He is writing. He is telling the truth. Why is he telling this truth? Because he wants to explain the abundance of love that he has and how he's trying to help them with the, with the pain that they are, they are suffering. So the goal of truth is love. The goal of love is truth. So love shapes how we speak the truth. Love must shape how we speak the truth. We read that in Ephesians 4.15. Rather, we speak the truth in love because we are growing up in every way into him who is the head, Christ, who is full of 100% grace and truth, keeps them both intact in everything that he did and everything that he does. So love shapes how we speak the truth. Truth shapes how we show love. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands. All right? So we love in accordance with truth. We exercise truth in accordance with love. So love and truth are the two sides of the same coin. If we love each other, then we must obey and speak the truth. If we know the truth, then we must be characterized by love. If we speak the truth, then we must do it in a clear way that represents and shows that we are sharing this truth out of sincere love for that particular individual. Secondly, I want to try to give us a biblical theology of love. Of course, that would be a sermon on its own, uh, but just to direct us a little bit, and help us to understand, uh, go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then we'll look at verses 4 through 6. Deuteronomy 6. Four through six. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Okay, so the greatest act of God's love is calling us to love him who is true and cannot lie. The call is an all-inclusive love that calls us, uh, calls us to love him with everything that we have. The call to love God brings us to the deepest and longest lasting love and joy. It is based on God who is both love and God who is true. Again, what I'm trying to show you is if God is keeping these two things together all the way through, through scriptures... Because we are to emulate and be like him, then the greatest love that he has is to call us into the greatest relationship of loving him who loves perfectly because he loves perfectly in love and truth. That's going to give us the greatest satisfaction. And it's going to give us the greatest satisfaction when we emulate him properly in how we exercise love and how we exercise truth. We must keep these two things together. That's what, is, that's what I could not explain fully in Matthew, and that is what's, what is uh, missing in Dionne Warwick's song. And what I would suggest to you today is that we don't need 
Love is not the greatest thing that we need. The greatest thing that we need in this particular time and age is truth. And truth needs to be spoken in love. And I think that will become clear uh, as we move along. So God called us to love him. Uh, and God's call for love required a radical heart change. A radical heart change. Okay, we can look at uh, uh, Exodus chapter, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 16. It says, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Right, this is beginning to point what was needed in the Old Testament, what was lacking in the Old Testament when God was calling this love is that there was a heart problem, and he had to solve this heart problem. And so we had to be circumcised in heart. Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 19 and 20, and I will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes, keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put with, that I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. Notice what, notice what God is doing. Know what, notice what God is promising. Notice what was commanded in the old covenant, what the solution is in the new covenant, and what the final result should be. The final result should be is that we are a people who love God and who love others, and we keep these two intact. We love in the truth, and we speak the truth in love. That was the, that was the goal. What was lacking in the Old Testament, the, there was a heart problem that needed to be resolved. And the new covenant promise was, I'm going to take out your heart of stone. A heart of stone doesn't love correctly. right? I'm going to put in a heart of flesh. A heart of flesh does now love correctly. And I'm going to place my word in your mind so that you will know me. I'm going to place my word in your heart that you may love me I'm going to put my spirit within you that will cause you to obey will cause you to do the right thing will cause you to speak the truth in love will, will enable you and help you to keep these two things intact so it's not just this fluffy love that lacks truth it's not just this abrasive truth that lacks love but you're able to love with the truth and love in the truth and keeping these both intact. So the promise of the new covenant was accomplished on the cross of Christ. It is enabled by the power of the gospel so that we can love in power, uh, excuse me, in love and in, in truth. And so the practice of love. What about the practice of love? Well, the practice of love, I think, uh, is, is significant. I think there's, there's something in the, the fact that uh, people don't care what you know until they, they know how much you care. And I think God set this up in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. I won't, let you, I won't turn you there because we're not going to read both chapters, but I'm going I'm to tell you the story of it. Because uh, there's two needs mentioned in the, uh, in, the, uh, in the first two chapters, first three chapters. The first, the, the first need, the first thing, what was the first thing that God said was not good. You know? Right. It was not good that Adam should be alone. Now think about Adam for a minute. Adam was in a perfect relationship with God. Adam did not have trouble at work. 
He didn't have a boss that he had to contend with. He didn't have fellow employees that he had to deal with throughout the day. He didn't have stubborn employees that when you told them what to do, they did not want to do it. It wasn't a fight all day at work. Right? He didn't, he didn't have all of the things that we deal with today. And God says, this is not good, that Adam should be alone. And then he puts him to sleep, takes out a rib, and gives him a wife that is a suitable helper. Which, which shows us that there are needs outside of our need for salvation. Right? There's, a, there's, there's spiritual needs and there's, there's physical needs. Both of them are shown or revealed, made known in the Garden of Eden. One is solved by Christ on the cross. The other one is solved by other people, by your spouse. That's, that's important because remember I told you I was in seminary and I had all the answers and I was telling my wife. See, my wife has needs. My wife has a lot of needs and sometimes she's, she's hurt and she doesn't need a sermon. She needs comfort. She needs me to mourn with her. Just mourn with her, right? Mourn with those who mourn. When you mourn with those who mourn, that doesn't require a sermon, right? That just requires that you just mourn, that you stop and you just feel her pain. You just stop and you be there with her. You reassure her that you're there to comfort her and to accept her and to help her throughout her struggle and throughout her, her problems. I was, like I said, a new seminary student and I was learning new things and I thought I had all the answers. So everything was like, well, if you would just submit to me, well, if you would just listen to what the word of God said, if you would just repent, if you just do this. If, but that's not what she needed at that particular time. Right? That's not what she needed. She needed me to love her. That's all she needed. She needed me to comfort her at that particular moment. Right? When some people, when people come from outside of the church and they're coming in here, there's going to be a lot of needs in those, that individual's lives. A lot of needs that perhaps are going unmet from the world. And it's our responsibility not just to speak the truth to them, but to also minister to that particular need, right? I mean, that's what I've been teaching the, uh, the, the, the uh, mar marriage class. Uh, and we looked at the five relationships. You have a relationship with God, and then a relationship with your spouse, and a relationship with the church, and a relationship with the world, a relationship with your children, a relationship with your work, all right? And if you think about the, the, the responsibilities of a pastor, what is, the, what is the prerequisite of a pastor is that he manages his own family well right and one of the things is, is that I think that that means is, is that if the if the man is not meeting the needs of the family and the children his wife and his children then he's not going to understand how to come and meet the needs in the church right so we need to we need we, we we're put here to meet the needs of of other other people let's take a look at that God fulfills the need we have so that we can fulfill the need of others. Let's look at 2 Corinthians. I think this one really explains it to us the best. I think we will catch what I'm saying right away when we read this particular verse. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. 
So the first one is 2 Corinthians 1, 3, 4. God comforts us so we can comfort others. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in, who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Right? And so God is the God of comfort, and he meets the needs of those who need comfort. And God wants us to imitate him. And so as God comforts us and we see the need that another person needs comfort, then we willingly go and comfort that person. It doesn't say preach a sermon to those who need comfort. It says comfort those who need comfort. Right? There's a need that needs to be met at that particular thing. And we show, him, we show them love, right, that will give us the opportunity later perhaps to explain to them the truth. And you have to show that you love so that they will receive the truth. If you just come in slamming them with the Bible and telling them that they need to repent and if they don't, they're going to hell, that's not going to land very well on a lot of people. And they need to see that we love them and we care for them enough to minister to them so that we will be able to show them and to give them the truth maybe in a later situation. Perfect love drives out fear. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18, perfect love drives out fear. You think about how God has loved you perfectly and removed the fear that may have been in your life, maybe the fear of death, the fear of Satan, uh, the fear of the consequences of sin that is occurring in your life. Uh, your life is falling apart. You don't know why. And then you meet God, and then God starts showing you uh, your, your sin, starts showing you where you're failing, starts showing you where you need to change your ways, and you begin to change your ways, and then you start seeing the favor of God upon your life, and then, you, then you're no longer fear of, of death. You're no longer fear of, of life. You just grab the life by its horns and... Uh, and, you, and you run with it. Well, some people fear. A lot of fear may be in your children because they don't understand life, right? But if you come alongside of them as a parent and you love them with the perfect love that God has loved you with, it'll remove some of their fears. When my children were growing up, uh, they would go to school and uh, they had friends, and some of their friends would say, would come in and they would be sharing. They said, my dad and mom, they divorced and they left. I remember Ashley coming home and, and came and said, Dad, what's going to happen if mom leaves? And I said, we're going to pack our bags and go with her. <laughs> right? Something that small just to say, look, we're not, we're not leaving mom and mom's not leaving us. We're together. That's perfect love that's going to drive out the fear in the heart of your children. And we need to communicate that to our children. We need to communicate that to our spouse. And we need to communicate people that come in the church who are, have fear of their life and how it's being destroyed by the sin that, is, that they're committing. And through the love that we're showing them, we eventually will be able to share the truth uh, in love. There is some truth in the fact that people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. We must be 100% loving, free-flowing, 
as the sun and the rain. We, almost, we also must be 100% on board with the truth. We cannot deny it, we cannot support it, and we cannot embrace it. We must grow up in Christ, be conformed to his image, and learn how to speak the truth in love. We must understand that when truth is denied and lawlessness subsides, love will grow cold. There's a direct correlation with the denial of truth and the loss of love. Evil is the result of love that lacks truth. Turn to Matthew chapter 24. We'll read verses 9 through 14. And remember what I just said, that love without truth is evil and will result in more evil. Verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets, there's the, there's the false, there's the truth, will arise and lead many astray. And because there is no truth or lawlessness, because it increases, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. All right? The one who speaks the truth in love, continues to love, but upholds truth and endures to the end, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now listen to that. Listen to that. Not to, not to judge Dionne Warwick or the, or the Democratic Convention, but I just used that song. All we need is love. That's all we need, just love, sweet love. That's all we need. We have everything else we need. The only thing that we're lacking in America, in our country right now, is that we need love and we need more love. And Matthew chapter 24 says that love without truth is going to create more evil. Love without truth is not really love. Right? A kiss from Judas is not true love. And it ends with more wickedness. Right? So that's what, was, that's what was missing that I couldn't communicate in Matthew chapter 5, 43 through 48. Yes, yes, yes. Hear me correctly. Yes, Jesus is saying that his love and our love should be in such a way that we love even our enemies like the rain falls from the sky. It just comes down. Right? Like the sunbeams, the sun unhindered. It just comes and it keeps on coming. Yes, we have to do that. We have to love. Love should permeate our lives. It should constantly flow from us. But just as important and just as equally, truth should permeate from us. Right? So, so when somebody says, you are so unloving, you are a homophobe, why do you hate these people and why do you hate those people? They're accusing us who is holding love and truth of being hateful, but the Bible says the exact opposite, that if you love without the truth, you are being hateful. And it's going to lead to more hate. 
right? And so you and I are the ones that's got the answer. You and I are the one that the world needs. We don't need just love, just sweet love. We need love and we need truth and we need to hold it into the balance. We need to love people with the purpose of telling them the truth. I mean, think about our world right now and how awful it's getting. And everybody is claiming that they love, but kids are being mutilated. And kids are being lied to and people are told that they, that they don't have a problem, that they can live any way that they want. And where is that going to end up? More evil. A wretched eternity. Because somebody is saying, all we need is love, just sweet love, just more. Yes, but don't separate it from the truth. We can't separate it from the truth. It's unloving. Think about what betrayal is. Right? You think that your wife loves you. And then they betray you. Don't you think, don't you question love automatically? Because they were communicating something to you and telling something to you. And then you find out that it's a lie. You don't think that that's love. What we're seeing out here in our community is not love. That is not love. Telling somebody who has a serious problem that they don't have a problem and they should go with that problem and run with it and mutilate their body and do the things that they're telling them to do to their body? No. Don't let somebody tell you you're a homophobe. You're the only one. You and I are the only ones that are capable of loving because we are the only ones that hold the truth about God and Christ and eternity. And we need to love and we need to communicate the truth in love. You and I have the answers. And we have to stand up and tell people we don't need sweet love only. We need sweet love bound with truth because that's what's going to save people. That's what's going to restore people. That's what's going to help people. Not what we're hearing from people today. So learn to love. And learn to tell the truth in that love to the people around you. Don't remain quiet. Don't remain quiet. People are hurting. People are hurting and people are telling them lies. And saying that I love you. And then giving them some, some information that they don't need. When they need to hear the gospel of Christ. They need to hear the word of God. And so learn, grow up in Christ, grow up in Christ and learn how to speak the truth in love. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we love you and thank you for your, for your word. Father, there is no one on the face of the planet that loved as much as you loved and spoke the truth as much as you spoke truth. Perfectly, perfectly balanced. Even when you loved and spoke the truth perfectly, the dark, hateful, unloving, rebellious denier of truths hated you for loving perfectly. And Lord, we are no greater than our teacher. If we love perfectly 
and speak the truth perfectly. Father, we will be hated for it. But Lord, let us grasp, let us grab hold of the reality that we have the only answer for life. We have the only answer for healing. We are the only ones capable of loving other people the way that they need to be loved. And so, Lord, teach us. Teach us how to love and teach us how to speak the truth in love the way that you did. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.